Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 476 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, today we're going to do something a little different, I guess. I'm going to be a little bit of motivational speaker, Jack, today. I don't generally do that other than I get caught up in something and that comes out of me, but I don't generally come out with a show that's just straight-up motivation. Today I'm going to do, I'd say, 80 to 90% of that. That's the input here. Today's show is called Building That Better Life. I make a promise to you every day that this show will give you the skills and the knowledge that you need to build a better life, but there's something that comes with that beyond the skills, the knowledge, and all of the different things that you can do and pick and choose from to improve your life and that's how you think. And I'm going to do this show because last night I did a show with uh, a gal I, I think is a really great person named Christy Sichukowski uh, called Truth Brigade. And, and on that show, we got into some discussions about the military and law enforcement. And in their chat room and from the audience, I could hear something that I would call defeatism. And I know there's been some people that have gone through some really hard times lately. And when we talked about employment, I could feel it. I could feel it from people as well. And defeatism has no place in survival thinking. And that's why we're going to do this today, because when I see something out there that troubles me, that makes me feel bad for my fellow man, I do something about it. That's what today's show is going to be. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and let's talk about uh, our basic housekeeping stuff today. As always, first up, let's take care of our sponsors. They do an awful lot to help take care of you. Make sure the show is here five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day, number one today, fits perfectly with the modern survival lifestyle, Common Sense Prep, because we do follow common sense when it comes to our preparations. We're not tinfoil hat wearing freaks here. We take that tinfoil hat, turn it around, and make it into a bowl to eat our lunch on the trail with, instead of putting it on our head to block evil government signals that don't actually exist. And Common Sense Prep can help you do just that with all the preps you need uh, to get your life ready for whatever may come its way. Next up today is the Lifesaver 4000 from Ready-Made Resources. What the Lifesaver does is allow you to make just about any water anywhere in the world safe to drink by filtering down to .015 microns, smaller than bacteria, protozoa, and viruses. So uh, that is something you've got to have, folks, is a way to purify water. Uh, there's a couple different ways we recommend you do it here, but having a portable option like the Lifesaver that makes water, port, uh, water that you find just about anywhere safe to drink, that's a great way to go. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you to connect with us, you know, with our social media outlets, uh, specifically Twitter, YouTube, the forum, and Facebook. Get involved in our forum. I haven't really talked about that for a while, so I'll do that today. Our forum is awesome, man. It's like a college degree in preparedness and homesteading waiting for you for free. 7,000 members who have poured out everything they've tried, what's worked and what hasn't worked for them. Great people, great relationships, great community waiting for you. Check out the forum. I also want to remind you guys on Facebook, I have stopped taking personal friend requests from people that I have not met. You email me, we talk a bit, and then I get a friend request from you, you know, 
I might take it, but I do have to limit that. But I've done a couple things. One, there is a Survival Podcast fan page. Please sign up for that. And I also have a Jack Spirico public figure page. Uh, and on those, anybody can kind of join those and stay in touch with me. And honestly, I pay more attention to those than my personal one anyway. Uh, so I think it's better uh, for use. And, you know, tied in with that new personal figure page is my new uh, little mini podcast I do every day called Five Minutes with Jack on Building Businesses. Check out jackspirico.com. Again, jackspirico.com for that if you want to know more about it. All right, uh, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll help support this show at 20 cents an episode. You'll get a bunch of free stuff, or a bunch of really cool stuff, uh, and uh, things like $120 worth of free ebooks, discounts to 21 different vendors, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff, and we'll leave it at that because let's get into today's topic because I really feel like I have to do this show today. Sometimes I get a feeling. Sometimes uh, something won't let go of me. Sometimes I hear one person say one thing where I feel like this person doesn't get it, and if this person doesn't get it, there's other people that don't get it. And maybe I can, maybe I can't fix the one person that I know of that doesn't get it, but maybe, maybe I can help somebody who's kind of on the fence, on the borderline. For those of you who do get it, I hope today will be a little bit inspiring for you and make you realize how, how amazing the opportunity in front of us is all right now. Um, I think that when we start talking about things like yesterday, like the fact that we live in a nation that is functionally bankrupt, uh, we can also make a case that we're morally bankrupt, but I, I don't think that's fair because I think there's a lot of people that are of the highest moral integrity out there as well. So uh, I think they offset the, the idiots and the scum uh, by a large degree, by a margin of more than 10 to 1. But we are functionally bankrupt. This, this, this nation can't pay its debt. We can't do it. Uh, we can't fulfill all the obligations that we've made. We, we can't, we're, we're broke. If this country was a company, the people running it would only not only be out of a job, they'd be in jail. And, and things like that make a lot of us really kind of depressed. And we might prep because we're like, oh, these guys are screwing it up, and one day we might have to deal with the consequences, but that's not good enough. I want to talk to you today about the hidden cancer that's killing so many Americans. And this time, for once, when I say cancer, I'm not talking about debt. That's bad enough. We'll probably talk about it a little bit today, but this cancer is far more insidious uh, because it comes with being informed, and then it kind of sneaks into your life and it starts to steal from you. This is the cancer of losing a sense of pride and power. It's it's a it's a cancer of losing pride and power in your nation. And if you're not an American, it still applies to you. I'm going to talk a lot about the American view today and the American Constitution. I'm going to tell you that no matter where you live, if you live on a freaking ice shelf in Antarctica, this still applies to you. And we do, and in this country, in America in particular, we have what I really consider to be two major classifications of people. We have a major classification of people that probably makes up the biggest majority who are completely uninformed. They do not understand uh, how the system works. Uh, they're largely patriotic, but in kind of like in a text box only format. They're patriotic based on the fact that they have um, arrogance versus pride. See, to me, arrogance is something that you can't back up and you can't throw your underpinnings in. You just believe because 
you have a name or because you have a position or because you've gotten away with something in the past that you must be better, smarter, faster, but you have no way to back that up. And we have a large portion of our population that suffers from that arrogance. And I look at that as there's only so much I can do about that. Those people come out of that slumber when they're good and ready to. Then we have another very large portion of our population, and I call them the don't-give-a-shits. They just don't care. It's not that they've lost something. It's they've either never had it or just didn't want it. Uh, these are the people that will ride government support programs for their entire life. Now, not the person who's legitimately disabled, not the person that went out and worked their ass off and got hurt, not the person that was born with a disability. I want to make sure when I come down on people living on government support, you guys understand, I'm not talking about people that need it, the people that it's really there for. I'm talking about the people that could get their ass up and get a job and don't. And think you're stupid because you work and think it's great that you're stupid and you work because you provide them a free house and free food and a free cell phone and everything else. And those people do make up a fairly large segment of our population. It's a minority, but it's a big chunk. And then, then we have the other portion of our society, which I consider to be varying degrees of the informed And I don't mean just informed because they watch MSNBC and vote Democrat or because they watch Fox News and vote Republican. They're informed beyond that. They realize that most of what they get from the news, from the media, from the large corporate speak, from lobbyists, from politicians, is complete, total, absolute bullshit. They understand this and they understand it fundamentally very, very well. And... The problem is those are a lot of the people that would tune into the Survival Podcast, that would listen to a show like mine, that are going to alternative media to get their information, that are going from anything as positive as what we do here to as kind of extreme as like an Alex Jones. or there's Folks, Alex is, is only nuts 20% of the time, by the way. Um, there's people that are way, way, way out there further than that guy. And they go to all these places, and through them they pick up fact and they pick up fiction. They pick up misdirection, and most of the fiction they pick up is not deceit and it's not lies. It's other people just like them who decided to do something, but they don't have enough foundational knowledge to do it. We just had this on the blog. One of the people there posted that, you know, this bankruptcy that I was talking about in America, if we would just pull out of Iraq and Afghanistan, we'd have enough money to stave it off. It's ridiculous to even think that way, but I don't blame the guy. He just doesn't know. This is what he's been told. And the other thing was, well, maybe if we do go bankrupt, they'll use it as an excuse, like a merger. When a company's going to go bankrupt, instead of going bankrupt, it merges with another company, and they pull themselves out of bankruptcy. So that could be used to lead us to the North American Union. Those are two perfect examples of the, the sources of that information don't think they're lying to you. They think they're telling you the truth. They just don't know some fundamental things that make both of those completely implausible. Let's start out with if we just got out of the wars. Well, first of all, we'll be out of Iraq in August of 2011. In September of 2008, I went on the air here and said, Barack Obama is your next president because he's going to win in a landslide. And on, the, and on that particular day, I had just learned that the Bush administration had set the timetable for withdrawal that they always said they wouldn't set because they felt the victory was in hand, and there was no fanfare and no one talked about it, and that the majority of American troops would be out of Iraq by August of 2011, and I stated that Barack Obama would win your presidency and get credit for it by the media. 
Next year around this time, they'll be hailing the chief, folks. They'll do it, and they'll give this guy credit, and we'll be out of Iraq. So that one's kind of a done deal. Let's talk about even if we were staying in Iraq and Afghanistan, though, could we save enough money to fix our problems if we just brought our military home? Well, let's start off with the economic voodoo that uh, that our government does when they're they're fighting with each other, when it's the Democrats campaigning against the Republican in power, or in the next time it's going to be the Republicans campaigning against the Democrats in power. They'll say things like, well, if we weren't all in these foreign wars, we would have more money, and they'll cite a figure like $87 billion to fund a war for a year. And we look at that and go, that's a lot of money. But, you know, they pass a trillion dollar stimulus and, you know, what's 87 billion out of a trillion? It's, you know, a lot less. Let's put it that way. But what they don't tell you is that those numbers that they give you about how much it costs to be at war include things like the salaries, uh, and the support to the troops that are there. Of course they do, Jack. Well, here's the thing. Um, we didn't draft like 100,000 guys and send them to Afghanistan. We took 100,000 people that were already on the payroll, already being fed three squares a day, already getting housing allowances, etc., and sent them there. So that portion of the expense is fixed. Uh, we buy tanks and we buy munitions and we buy all that really expensive billion-dollar equipment all the time, whether we're at war or not. If we actually look at it, the biggest thing that's costing us money right now is, is munitions, ammunition. We're using more of that than we do in peacetime. Throw $10 billion at that. And supplying our troops in Afghanistan because it is so difficult to supply people in Afghanistan, throw another $10 billion at that. So what are we looking at, $20 billion a year? Double it. Call it $40. $40 billion. Do you know what the deficit this year is? $1.6 trillion. What's $40 billion out of $1.6 trillion? Do you know what the deficit between now and 2050 is? Just in Medicare, Medicaid, and uh, uh, Social Security, just in those three? $55 trillion. What's a few billion? What's a hundred billion? Against that. I'm not saying it doesn't count, you know. So that's that's just ridiculous that if we just did that, then we would fix the problem. I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that the money doesn't add up. And people make claims like that. They don't understand the, the basic math behind it. The other one was, okay, we used the excuse to go, you know, tinfoil hat into the North American Union. Well, here's a fundamental reality. If I were on Jack's widgets, and I've run it terribly, and I'm now a hundred million dollars, or I'm, just say a million dollars in debt to keep the numbers understandable. A million dollars in debt. And your name's Joe, and you run Joe's Widgets. And you think, man, Jack was our biggest competitor. If I buy him out while he's in bankruptcy, we could merge the two companies together, Jack's Widgets, and become J&J Widgets, right? You know, And uh, we'll starve off Jack's bankruptcy. Okay, if you have heavy cash reserves of 4 or $5 million, right, you can make that happen. If you have a solvent business that's profitable and a lot of credit, you can make that happen. But in this case, the big company, the United States of America, is functionally bankrupt. How is merging with Canada and Mexico going to make any financial problems go away? Canada is fairly run, run well financially, but their gross domestic product is about $1.5 trillion, something in that neighborhood. So their entire output doesn't even add up to our deficit this year. So in other words, they can't borrow enough money, and they can't produce enough money, and they can't fix the United States. In other words, if we tried to merge Canada and the United States financially, we would take Canada down with us as a sinking ship. 
Mexico's even more implausible. Mexico is is their their gross domestic product is is about the same as Canada. I think it's one point one trillion or something like that. But most of their gross domestic product is come from two things: one, illegal aliens working in the United States sending United States dollars back to Mexico; two, selling oil to the United States of America. So we're their biggest customer and their biggest provider. And they're more screwed financially than we are, and they don't make enough. The, the two of them together, having that merger would be like trying to take Taco Bell, right, and use it to bail out Exxon. It won't work. So this is what goes on, and people get these things in their mind, and, and they get them twisted. And because of that, things start to look really depressing. So where's the motivational speaking, Jack, from here on out? I just wanted you to understand the format that... The, the the reality of what goes on. I wanted you to see the deception that's not even intentional because I guarantee you the people putting out information like that actually believe it. They just never stop to think about the underlying factors. Do they add up? Does it make sense that you could actually fix an economic problem of a country with a GDP of $14 trillion, uh, that's that's $55 trillion in the hole, with two countries that add up to a GDP of three trillion, one is broke and one just doesn't produce enough to offset the damages. Would three companies like that ever merge? No. You know? So this gives the cancer. And the cancer is the lack of faith, the lack of hope, the lack of belief. See, we get misled into believing just because we have corrupt politicians that, we, you know, we have some corrupt police officers. We have some bad military personnel. That came out last night in my interview as well. You know, why, why if the soldier is told to disobey an illegal order and why if the soldier has to follow an oath to the Constitution, do all these bad things happen? And all these bad things add up to a couple dozen when you've got a couple million people in total out there doing the job. But that's what you hear about. So obviously everybody's corrupt. It would be like saying that the majority of Catholic priests are pedophiles. That's a ridiculous statement. And only an ass clown would make such a statement. This is the cancer that's holding America back right now. Because we have the uninformed that don't give a shit. We have the blindly patriotic. And the segment of the population that's actually informed you, a large portion of us, has decided it's not worth fighting, it's not worth trying to save, that things are washed up, cleaned out, and there's no honesty and there's no integrity left. I'm here to tell you today that there's plenty of honesty and integrity left. I was asked last night, if you were a soldier and you took an oath to a constitution, but you're not a soldier anymore, how does that oath still apply to you? And my response is because when I stand up at the age of 17 and say that I will defend and protect the Constitution of the United States and I end that oath with so help me God, it's permanent. And if you want to know if that applies, if you want to know how universal that is, I was a soldier, but I'm going to stick up for my fellow uh, my fellow warriors, the Marines right now. I want you to go find a 70-year-old Marine, 70 years old or older, that was in the Marine Corps for Four years or less. So he left the Marine Corps 20, 22, something like that. And I want you to dare to call him an ex-Marine. And I want you to see what happens. You'll see a flame and a flash of anger that will probably subside really quick because he knows you're a civilian and you don't understand what you just said. But you'll see it and you'll see agitation. He'll explain to you something. He'll tell you there's no such thing as an ex-Marine. I'm a prior service Marine. But I'll be a Marine until I die because I earned the title.
That's how I feel about being a soldier. And I think that's how most of our airmen and our sailors feel as well. You earn that. And the oath goes with earning it. And, you know, there is a technicality there. Part of the oath is also obey the, the orders of the officers and non-commissioned officers appointed over me. Well, that doesn't apply anymore. Because I don't have any appointed over me. But I could be recalled into service, and if I was, I would fulfill that part of the oath too. But the oath is to the Constitution. And there's people like me. Don't think I'm rare. I'm rare because I'm vocal. I'm rare because I have a gift for explaining this stuff. But the way I think, this is my nation, I'll stand by it. This is our Constitution. My oath is to it, not to its government. If somebody violates it, if I see it being broken, if I see it being trashed, I will speak up, I will do something, I will act. If that makes you feel good to know there's one person that feels that way, let me tell you something, there's millions. Don't buy into the cancer that it can't be saved. Don't buy into the cancer that there's no one out there with integrity anymore. You know, it's hard to find a politician with integrity, but it's not hard to find a citizen. And the citizens are the ones that really run this place, we've just forgotten that. It's also important that we do know a bit about the Constitution. And again, even if you're not an American, I think it's important because I think that our Constitution was written for us and for the rest of the world. Part of our Constitution is designed to set up the structure of our government. That's something we should know about, but it's not the important thing. The fundamental of our Constitution is different than any other document that sets up the, the, the foundational law of any land that I know of is that our Constitution does not grant rights to its citizens. It looks at human rights and says they are innate to being a human. That you have a right to certain things because you were born. And that the government is required to recognize those rights and to protect them. That's totally different than the way everybody else does it. And that should be the most empowering thing that you've ever heard. The Second Amendment is not really about gun ownership. It is, but it isn't. The fundamental human right that exists that created the Second Amendment and requires government to recognize it is your right as a human being to self-defense. That's what it's really about. And to have self-defense from a bad guy breaking in your house, a bandit on the road, or your own government that stops listening to its own laws. The Constitution is one of the most uh, revolutionary and in some ways most dangerous documents ever created because it threatens the power structure of the entire planet. If we lived by our Constitution in this nation, if we required our government to live by our Constitution, I'll tell you what, it would scare a lot of nations out there that still live very totalitarian regimes. They like the fact that we kind of have twisted it. But again, you can't think that it doesn't apply and you can't think that it's going to go away. I also think that we need to rethink the word pride. I talked about the difference between pride and arrogance either. There's an old saying that pride goeth before the fall, and that's the pride that, that, that steeps into arrogance. I'll tell you this. Pride is needed for progress. People that aren't proud, people that aren't proud of who they are, what they are, where they're going, what they're going to accomplish, people without pride in who they are and the community they're part of and in their nation, don't do shit productive. People that aren't proud are the ones that sit around on welfare and suck at the tit of America that you and I have to feed forcefully at the point of a gun. People with pride 
build businesses. People with pride get their ass through college without being $100,000 in debt when they're done. People with pride say, not, I can't do it, but how can I do it? People with pride say, it's worth the effort because I'm worth the effort. They believe in themselves. You can't be a survivalist and not have some pride. And we started teaching people in this country that pride is bad. You know, we shouldn't have American exceptionalism. I don't give a damn about American exceptionalism. What about your individual unique exceptionalism? And what about the fact that there's 300 million people like us here together, and together there's an exceptionalism there? And I don't care if that pisses somebody off in Spain or Portugal or France. Have pride in your country. Don't worry about how much pride we have in ours. You have some in your own. You make a difference at home. And if you don't like it, that's why you live there and I live here. And if you're living here and you don't like the way it is here, I'm sorry, no more hope and change. Pick your ass up and go somewhere that's already the way you want it because I and about a 100 million other Americans that haven't forgotten what this is really all about are starting to draw a line in the sand and say, to here you shall come and no further. We will halt the progress. And that might sound political, but it's not political. This isn't about government. This isn't about who's in charge. This is about the way we all think, act, and be. And we do need to start in our own lives. Stop complaining, well, the government should do this, and the company should do that, and the state should do this, and those lazy-ass people on welfare should get jobs. I don't give a damn about that today. I want to know, what should you do, and do you have a goal to freaking get it done? Have you set an objective? Have you set an agenda? Goals are not just for kids in Harvard that want to be CEOs and multimillionaires by the age of 30. Goals are for every single person that gives a damn about their future. I don't care if your goal is, I'm going to have a garden planted by the end of this month. I'm going to learn how to can this month. Have freaking goals. If you don't have a goal, you're not going anywhere. Let me put it to you this way. Your life is an un written, undrawn map. It can lead anywhere, it can go anywhere, it can be anything you want it to be. But when you're on a map, there's two things you need to know to make that map useful. Where you are and where you're trying to get to. If I drop you off in the middle of New Mexico and don't tell you what state you're in, and hand you a map and say, get your ass to, I'm not going to tell you where, and I have written on a little hidden card, Philadelphia, but I don't tell you, and say, there's your map, here's the keys, here's a car, here's a gas card, you can drive anywhere in the United States, get to your destination. You're not going to ever get to Philadelphia. If you do, it'll be by accident. The odds are a million to one against you. First of all, you don't even know where the hell you are. you got to figure that out first. And then you need a goal. I, I need to get to Philadelphia. Well, no one hands you a map in life. You just have one. No one tells you where you are, and no one tells you where the hell you're supposed to be going. People tell you where they think you should go, and let me tell you what I think about people that tell you what they think you should do. I think they should shut the hell up unless you ask them. Everybody has advice for somebody, you know. I'm thinking about making a career shift. Oh, Dan, don't do that. You know, you've been in this field for 15 years. You're one of the best. Screw that. What if it's sucking the life essence from your very soul? And they have this advice for you. You know why? It's good-natured advice. They don't want to see you get hurt. But at some levels, it's misery loves, loves company. 
People get angry. Trust me, I know. People get angry when you go from a minimum wage job to a six-figure salary in four years and you cheat and you didn't go to college. They get angry. They get upset. They become envious. And they don't like it. And when you say, I'm going to do something even harder, they tell you, oh, you've done so much. You know, bullshit. Your map is unwritten and uncharted territory. Start setting some goals. And as soon as you start setting goals, what's going to happen is you're going to figure out where you're at. It's like shooting a back azimuth with a compass. I set goal one and goal two, and I look at how far away I am from those two, and I triangulate the distance back, and I have my progress right now. And I know the beginning point on my map, and I know a destination. And I might change those destinations along the way. But I'll tell you what. I'm at least going somewhere. I'm at least making progress, and I'm charting it. I'm in control. You've got to have that in your life, or you're just screwed. Now, those of you that are workaholics like me, that follow your passion, or... Uh, are on the career path that I was 10 years ago where I was a high-powered sales guy and I had clients all over the, the United States and I traveled all the time and had a big expense account and was always on the phone and always on, you know, back in the day, I didn't even, this is before Blackberries were even popular, I had like a phone and a Palm Pilot, man, and you ran your life off of those in your laptop. We're constantly going. Let me tell you something. Your family comes first because that's why you do all that shit. But when your wife or your husband or your kids are angry with you and they say, if we're first and you should make time for us, they're damn well right. And let me tell you how you do it. You guys that live out of the Outlook, Outlook calendar, put family time in there. Schedule time with your wife or your husband like they're your freaking client. When I first told my wife that, she felt insulted. She thought it was the worst thing she ever heard. She said, you have to make time for me that way? And I said, no, I have enough respect for you and love for you to make sure that you get treated just as well as the guy I'm selling a, a cable tester to. You know, when I set an appointment to be in Baltimore to talk to the head of a distribution agency at 1 o'clock on Wednesday the 22nd, a month from now, it happens because I put it there. So when I set Outlook to give me a reminder at 4.30, 30 minutes until wife time, and I shut everything the hell down, and Friday's like a date night, that ends up happening. And over time, she got it. That's what you should do with your family. Don't think that when you do that, you're being disrespectful, or that that means that you're not adequate as far as your ability to make time for them. It acknowledges your character and who you are. And even if you're not a high-powered person, even if you're a person that you walk out of the office at 4 o'clock and you could give a shit about work till the next day, you have your own hobbies and interests and sometimes you want to veg in front of the TV, you need to schedule time to play with your kids. You need to schedule time to be with your wife. And you need to schedule it like it's an appointment at the doctor's office or an appointment with an attorney or an appointment with whatever gets it done. It's a golf tea time. With the same urgency, with the same respect. Do that, your life will start improving. And maybe you'll want some goals. And when you're spending that time together, talk about each other's goals. Talk about your kids' goals. Talk about your wife's goals. Talk about the goals you have in common. And that'll make things like prepping and saving money and getting out of debt so much damn easier to do. You know when it's easy to get out of debt? When you look at the balance and it was 30000 and you never thought it was going to happen. And all of a sudden this month it's 28000 and you realize, hey, we made a dent. 
And then you're talking about what you're going to do when it's gone and how much you're going to have when it's gone and what your life's going to be like when it's gone. And then all of a sudden one day you look at it and it's 24 and you're like, holy crap, it's really going to work. And then you get excited. But if you don't spend time with your family, if you don't spend time talking about that vision and that dream and those goals, it never happens. And you never get excited and you never make it happen. And even if you do, it takes too damn long. And remember, while we're on the subject of debt, it's measured in years, not dollars. How many years of you, your life will you let it steal from you before you realize the cancer that is and kill it? And I'll tell you what else is measured in years. Regret. For not scheduling the time. For not doing the things. Regret for, you know, you leave and you come back and you think your kid grew as much as your garden grew while you were gone. That's how I felt when I was traveling. Regret that will never go away. Time that can never be taken back. Make sure you're scheduling that time. You also have got to have that vision if you're going to draw that map. You have to have vision. You have to crystallize vision. You have to make it real. And here's the most important part. You have to believe two things. One, it is possible. Two, you deserve it. And I think people struggle more with the second one than the first one. I want to ask you, can you say... Honestly, out loud to yourself right now, I deserve everything I want. Again, I deserve everything I want. Sounds hokey, sounds like some Tony Robbins bullshit, and the way some of those guys presented it is. Because they just want you to get up and say it. Say it seven times a day, put it on a little crib. No, I want to know, gut check. I deserve what I want. Can you say it? I deserve everything I want. Not can get, not would like to have, not not it's possible for me to get. I can get what I want. I deserve it. Because most people that are good people have trouble with that at first because they think, well, but somebody deserves it more. It's the same thing that happens when you walk up to a soldier in uniform getting on an airplane and you just say, hey man, I just want to say thank you for your service. And he gets a little bit of a lost look in his eye for a second. And he, you know, the guy that would never break eye contact with you would shake your hand so hard he'll make the bones hurt in it. Breaks eye contact with you and just kind of says, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Because he's thinking the same thing. There's a place for that humbleness. Because he's thinking, you know what? I got a buddy of mine that's dead. Or I'm just a mechanic. Or I'm just a cook. Or. Man, I didn't even go anywhere yet. I'm, you're watching me get on a plane for the first time. I just got done with basic training. Somebody deserves it more. You tell that soldier, thank you, anyway. You tell any service member, thank you, anyway. Because they all deserve it. But that's the problem in our lives. We think someone deserves it more. I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you if there's someone deserved more than you do. That's irrelevant. I asked you if you deserved it. You deserve what you want. And if you have a problem with that, you better work on it first. Because it's going to be hard to even build up a pantry with three months worth of food in it if you can't answer that with, yes, I deserve what I want. Because this is why you pay off the debt for a friend and don't pay off the debt of your, your own. You put more value in the lives of others than in the life of yourself. Well, here's the thing. If you want to be a force for change, if you want to help people, if you want to give to charity, if you want to be, if you're religious involved in your church, if you're, uh, you know, um, secular involved in in a in an organization of any kind, if you want to 
build a business and employ people, if you want to build a business and make so much money that you're going to give away half of it, no matter what it is you want to do, without success it can't happen. You know, you could be the most charitable person in the world, but if you never rise above minimum wage, how much impact can you have? And people go, oh, Jack, what about people like Mother Teresa? And Mother Teresa was an intellectual billionaire. She was one of the most well-branded people. You could say she lived in poverty, but she really didn't. Because she was an intellectual billionaire. And what I mean by that is if she wanted to speak somewhere, people would listen. If she wanted to go somewhere, somebody would provide transportation. I guarantee you she would have never went hungry. It doesn't matter what the income level is. Mother Teresa was someone that believed that she deserved what she wanted. Her life of complete charity just happened to be what that was. And you're not, not as good a person if you want something entirely different in your life. You deserve what you want. If you don't believe that, you won't create vision, you won't create the destinations, and you won't chart your map. Life will do it for you. And life has a way of leading us into the shittiest place we can end up if we let the current take us along. And that's reality, man. There's no other way I can put it for you. The next thing you've got to ask yourself today, what do I want? We just said, you, you know, first thing you got to do is decide you deserve what you want. Well, now that you can actually admit that, you have to ask yourself what that means. What does it mean, what I want? Do you know? I've said this before, I'll say it again, though. If I give you $100 million, and you immediately gave away $50 million, so you could feel charitable and get any sense of guilt out of your body, and um, you went and then found people that maybe needed some help and gave away another $25 million, and you're still sitting on $25 million free and clear after taxes, what would you do? What would you do? And so many people say, I would go on trips around the world, I would get a limousine and a great big party, or you know, or whatever it is, you know. I would buy a thousand-acre ranch in South Texas. You know, okay, fine. You've spent five of your twenty-five million now. You've had a six-month party. You've bought your little estate. You're sitting there. You wake up in the morning. You get up. You, you know, do your morning routine. You have that steaming cup of coffee standing out in your beautiful backyard. Now, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Say you're forty years old. You got another 40, 50, 60 years of complete choice and freedom. What would you do? You know, I asked this question to uh, a bartender. Actually, she was a waiter at a bar that uh, a buddy of mine and I had a beer at. And then she left. And I, I wanted to give her a free blog. You know, I wanted to set it up for her, brand it, and just let her have it. But we, I don't know where the hell she went after. She's the first person that when I basically said, and it wasn't that deep of a question, but I said, what would you do? She said, she wanted to do a bridal consulting business. Instantly. No thought. She was in college and she was waiting until she got out. I want to be like, oh, hell no. You know what you want? Build it now. Now that's a person that, when they answer, when a person answers the question like that, you know what that's saying? This is something I really want to do. Now I'm not saying that won't ever change. I'm not saying that this person won't one day realize, I don't want to work with brides. She might start working with brides and go, these people are bitches, man. They're never happy. They're always. Or she might be the perfect person to deal with somebody going through the stress 
of dealing with setting up a wedding when they're trying to make their entire family pop uh, happy. I mean, I really don't know what one it's going to be. But what I was impressed with was the answer. And what I'm telling you is when you find the answer, start working on it now. If you're in college and what your goal is is to be the best game programmer in the world, you better be writing code right now and you better be making some of your code freely available to others. Brand the crap out of yourself. You know? Don't wait till you get out of school. I have a really good friend. Man, I like this guy. And he's just got his master's degree in marketing. But he spent his entire college career working as a bartender. Made some good money at it. He even bought his first house. I'm really proud of him in some ways. But I'm also like, dude, you're marketing, you know, you have a master's in marketing now. You should have something of a, profile, a portfolio underneath you. And this guy's known me for years. And he's never asked me for my help. And if he did, I'd give it to him like that. But I'm sure so I'm not going to push it on him. Start living what you want today. But the first question is, what do you want? And it's from the small to the little. What do you want your profession to be? How do you want to live? What kind of house do you want? How much land do you want? Where do you want to live in the world? How many vacations do you want? Remember, you've already said you deserve what you want. Well, if you deserve something, isn't it incumbent upon you to go out and get it? I didn't ask you if you deserved it because uh, you should sit at home and I should send it to you. Or the taxpayers should fund it for you. That's an entitlement attitude. Believing you deserve something and feeling entitled to it are entirely different things. When you deserve something, that means that you have the intestinal fortitude, knowledge, desire, and dreams to go get it. When you're entitled to something, that means it should be handed to you. God, those are different. God, don't you wish they were teaching our children in high school things like this today? Instead of memorizing what year somebody did something that no one gives a shit about anymore? God, I wish we were teaching our children these things. I'm trying, folks. Because I'm telling you and I'm hoping you're telling your kids. I really am. I also want you to realize something that you've got to do to fix all this shit. Your belief that the government controls you to believe that there's nothing you can do. Any negative belief holding you back. You have to figure out what caused it. Because it's nothing but an illusion. But it's a very powerful illusion. Illusions can kill you. How can an illusion kill you? If I create the illusion that a car is about to run you over, I can chase you off a cliff with it and you'll fall and die. Even if you would have just stood there, the illusion would have passed right through you. Illusions are dangerous. Something that doesn't exist can hurt you. Let me give you an example. Darkness. Not about evil. Dark. Darkness doesn't exist. The hell do you mean it doesn't exist? Of course, no, it does not exist. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And the problem with a lot of motivational type people is they'll tell you things like, if you just deny the illusions, if you just deny them and realize they are illusions and they're phantoms and they can't hurt you, you'll solve your problem. No, you have to deal with the illusion. You have to deal with non-reality. You have to accept that it does have some power. And it's up to you to overpower it. Perfect example is darkness. Puts you in a sealed room. With no lighting. It's dark. You say, I deny the darkness and just start walking around. You could do anything from stub your toe to give yourself a concussion or worse. 
hitting a wall, tripping over something, banging into something. Maybe there's swords sticking out of the walls. You could impale yourself. Because of the darkness, you don't know what the danger is, even though it's an illusion. Now, you flip a light switch, the darkness is banished instantly. But you have to flip the switch. The only way you can destroy darkness, even though it's not real, is by bringing in its antithesis, light. I'm not even being spiritual. I'm being pure physicist-minded with this, okay? That's pure science. Darkness is the absence of light. Therefore, it is nothing. Therefore, it does not exist. However, it has an effect on you and on anything that requires vision to move forward. The only way to destroy it, even though it doesn't exist, is the one thing that does exist, light. And when the two come together, one destroys the other. That is spiritual. But it's also very, very much physical science. Astrophysics. Or whatever the hell they want to call it. Cosmology, right? So that's how the things in your life are. So the first thing you have to do to be able to banish darkness is understand what it is. If I, if you were never taught this, you didn't know what a light bulb was, you were born in the dark, you were kept in the dark, and then you were moved into a room that had the potential for light, you would probably never look for a switch. You just accept that's the way, that's always been this way, right? Doesn't have to be. So I have to ask you today, what is the source of your limitations? Some of it is from your parents. Don't blame them for it, but accept it. This isn't some psychologist that once I get you to hate your mommy, you're cured. It's bullshit. That kind of thinking is really screwing our country up. It really is. But some of the limitations were taught to you as a child. You can't do that. In fact, there was a switch point where it went from you can do anything, Johnny, to, oh, well, that's really not what you should do. Because basically what parents mean when they say you can do anything, you can do anything within the limitations of my dreams for you. And when you're five years old, it's harmless for you to believe that you can play NBA basketball or be an astronaut. But when you're 14, it's time to kind of be a little bit more realistic unless you're really on a path for that. Because I don't want you to get hurt. And then when you're 16 and decide you want to do something like play music for the rest of your life, it's not even about whether or not you're going to get hurt. It's That's not really what I wanted from a kid. You know, I want you to be respectable. I want to be proud of you. So some of the limitations come from there. Some of them come from society. But most of them come from negative feedback that you get around you all the time. In some ways, it's real negative feedback. I mean, if you go try to start a business and you fail, that feedback is valuable. But what most people do is say, well, that means I'm not cut out for starting a business. No, it means you did it wrong. It means you did it wrong. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It's like, That would be like you, the first time you try to ride a bike and your mommy or your daddy let you go, what happened? You fell the hell over, right? You skinned your knee. And saying, okay, I can't ride a bike. Stupid. Ridiculous. You just learned something. Get back on. Within a couple days, any kid that tries learns to ride a bike. And a week after that, they're jumping over stuff with it. Why? Because they got feedback that was negative and they used it to move forward. Well, the problem is that we don't, as we get older and older, we stop having the attitude of the negative feedback is a learning experience and we start seeing it as, oh, don't go there. It's like we take it as burning our hand on the stove, right? And, and people say, well, that means you don't touch the stove. That means, no, you don't touch the stove when it's hot. 
might clean the burner when it's cool. See, that's logic. But we lose logic in our lives. You know? We think, oh, the last election was complete nonsense. There was nobody good to pick from. That means elections are useless. No. It means we're doing it wrong. We're not firing these pricks in March. In the primaries. If that's important to you, do something about it. Create an organization. I'll tell you what, anybody that gives a shit about that, I have a domain name called Fire Them in March. I don't have time to mess with it. I'll give it to you. I'll give it. You can have it. If that, Don't do it unless you're passionate about it, unless you're going to do something with it. I'll be pissed if I give you the opportunity you don't do it. Or just go out and create your own domain. KickTheirAssesOut.com. I don't care what it is. But that's important to you. Come up with a way to change things. Or do something else that's more important to you. I've been asked a couple times, will you ever run for political office? Hell no. Hell no, because I couldn't talk to you this way every single day if I was a senator or a congressman. And trust me, after 476 episodes of the Survival Podcast, folks, and some of the rants they could pull out of me, I ain't getting elected to county dog catcher. I don't want to be a politician. If there's good people that do, find them. If that's what's important to you. I don't care what it is. This Again, this is not about politics. Or building a business. Or getting a better job. Or having a better house. It's about whatever it is for you. Everything I've been talking about since I said, what do you want, is just examples to make it concrete. Common things that are important to people. If when you say, what do you want, it has absolutely nothing to do with an elected official, screw politics for you. That's fine. But... Don't let it have a negative effect on the way you live. Don't think, well, because of that, there's no point. No. There's every point. Because why? You deserve what you want. So you better go claim it. And what you really have to realize is that even though there are people that have influenced you, that have helped you reinforce these, this negative feedback and these negative illusions... Even though your parents taught you not to ask for money from strangers, which is, by the way, a stupid thing. You should always ask strangers for money. Now, I don't mean that you should go up to a stranger on the street and go, dude, can I have some money? That's panhandling. But when you go out and look for a job, you know what you're doing? You're asking a stranger for money. When you apply for a grant or a scholarship to go to college, you're asking a stranger for money. When you become an investor and buy a stock that you expect a return on, you're asking a stranger for money. They're not your friends, are they? How many of you have been hired by a best friend? Few people, I'm sure, but the average person, when they get their first job, they have to go ask a stranger for money. How are you going to do that if you've been told not to do that? We tell people, you know, we teach our kids when like a good aunt or an uncle or someone gives them money, don't take it. You know, so now we also teach them don't take or ask for money from people you do know. It's even worse. Little kid manipulates grandma or grandpa to go into a store and buying something. We tell them they were wrong. Dude, your grand, your mom, your kid's grandma, she's smarter than you think she is. She wasn't manipulated by that kid. Let it go. That's the child figuring out how to be a salesperson. Don't beat that out of them. They're going to need that skill for the rest of their life. They're going to need it from everything from getting a, getting into college to getting a job to getting a race to getting a freaking date. Why do we beat this stuff out of our kids? Because we fear it. Because we've already had a beat out of us. 
We can't think that way. And I've got to tell you, though, with all of these limitations that are out there, and if you're thinking my mom was real negative, my dad was real negative, my brother, cousin, uncle, your goldfish, I don't care who did it to you. Can't blame them. In the end, you get to blame because you have the power to change it. Identifying a source and assigning blame are not the same thing. That's another important thing you've got to understand. The source of a problem is not the, is not necessarily responsible for the problem. You're the one that accepted the input, and you're a grown-up now. Stop being stupid. Stop accepting input that you were given when you were 14 years old. You say, it's just not that easy. My ass it isn't. Be conscious of it so every time it happens, you're like, oh, that's what that is. Okay. See, here's the thing. If I walk up behind you and smack you in the back of the head, it's hard for you to duck. You don't see it coming. And I can pretty much get away with that as long as I can sneak up behind you and keep smacking you in the back of the head. If I walk in front of you and go to smack you in the face, well, you can punch me first, you can duck, you can block, you can deflect, you can pull your gun out and shoot me. I mean, there's a million things you can do to avoid it because you see it coming. The reason you have to identify the source of these illusions and you have to identify your weaknesses in these negative points isn't so you can blame somebody. It isn't even so you can just today say, today I quit. I'm not doing it anymore because it's not realistic. It's so you can understand them when they pop up. So that when you hear the voice, that's it's risky. Don't do that. It's too much of a risk. Stay at your job where it's safe. Right? Or, you know what? It's going to be okay. You don't need that extra can of beans. Screw it. You know? You're crazy listening to these alternative media types. Of course everything's safe. Everything's okay. When you hear those voices, you go, oh, I know the source, therefore I know the voice, therefore I deny it. That's the process that's missing in most of the self-help genre bullshit. Oh, if you just figure it out, it'll be okay. Cause you feel No, if you don't consciously decide, hey, I know what this is, I know how to identify it, and when it shows up, then I'm going to act. I'm going to see it as a punch in the face. And I'm going to block, deflect, move, punch back, whatever it takes. I'm not taking the punch in the face again. Most people walk through life taking punches in the face. And then they wonder at 40 why they feel disillusioned with their government, with their nation, with their fellow Americans. If I punch anybody in the face long enough and they just sit there and take it, they're pretty well going to feel defeated. They're going to hit the canvas and they're not going to get up. Doesn't have to be that way, man. It just doesn't. And I have to explain some to you because some of you might be thinking this is not a lot like survivalism. It's one of the most important components in the world if you're going to be a modern survivalist. If you're going to be a survivalist of any type. If you're going to survive. Because I'm going to tell you something now that I, sh I should say more often. An unfulfilling life is not compatible with being a survivalist. A survivalist has to be optimistic. They have to have extreme optimism. Because if not, why the hell would I store food so I could survive a disaster? If I wasn't an optimist. If I didn't believe there was hope on the other side of it. Why would I pay off debt if I didn't believe that I could have a fulfilling semi-retirement in my 40s instead of waiting till I'm 70? If I, my life is unfulfilling, if I don't have a destination planned, if I don't have dreams, if I don't have goals, if I don't have effort, efforts that I'm expending because I believe I deserve the results... If I haven't scheduled time for my family, if I'm not sharing my dreams with my significant other, if I'm not teaching my children, if I'm not doing these things, if I'm not having some positive impact on the slice of the world that I care about, 
If I'm not doing those things, I absolutely can't be a survivalist. I can be a hermit. I can be somebody with a bunch of stuff stored up. But what am I surviving for? What am I putting all this effort into this for? How will I carry it forward? How will I live the creed of having a better life even if times don't get tough? I can't be a survivalist and bet on failure. I have to be a survivalist and accept the fact that failure happens and have redundancy built in for it. But I have to live my life based on success and optimism. And it won't work any other way. And it's hard to be optimistic when you're staring at $100,000 a debt or more. And you make $40,000 a year. You feel like the United States Office of Budget Management. Right? If there's ever an idiosyncrasy ever, it's called budget management. Anything our government does. But you can do something about it. There are ways out. Quick ways out that are probably not the best. And there's long, hard ways out that will probably change your life for the better forever. And bad things happen sometimes, man. We have to accept that. I could get in my truck today to drive up to Louisville and pick up my RV, get hit by a Mack truck carrying 20 tons of gravel and be dead. Doesn't mean I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. Doesn't mean I don't have car insurance. Because I'm a lot more likely to be in an accident where I'm not dead. Doesn't mean I don't have medical insurance. Because I'm a lot more likely to be in an accident where I'm going to be in the hospital than dead. We need to start living our lives that way. Live for the positive, plan for the negative. And plan for the negative in a way that makes the positive better. I mean, I, I can't make it any more simple for you. And the thing I have to finish up with today is, is the one fundamental fact. Why survivors survive in the first place? What is the one commonality that makes people get through a disaster or a life-altering event of any shape or size? I'm talking about anything from being stuck in the middle of a tornado to being given a diagnosis that you have terminal cancer. And the person that should die doesn't. They beat it. It's one thing, and one thing only, that really makes it happen. And it ain't luck. It's belief. It's a belief that what you do matters. That won't always work. Sometimes we lose the fight. It doesn't mean we don't have the fight. And the people that have the fight obviously are more likely to make it. I've, I talked to more than one oncologist that's confirmed this for me. When they have two patients that they're basically physically identical, same age, same sex, same condition, same stage of cancer, same prognosis, and they, the guy tells them both that you have maybe a 10% chance, and he's really being nice because he thinks it's more like two, and they both follow the same basic course of treatment, the one that's a pain in the ass lives more often than the one that isn't. The ones that's like, what's my other alternative? Uh, why are we doing this? How does this work? Why am I feeling this way? What other drugs are there? What other options are there? Even in the end, when it turns out that the doctor's recommendation is followed the same by both of them, the one that asks the question somehow has a stronger will to live and somehow beats it, where the other one that just says, I'll be a good patient, eventually just lays down and dies. And that's the most important thing I can tell you today. For surviving and living is what you do matters. If you don't understand that, I, there's really no point in listening anymore and doing anything that I say. If you think that anybody has a bigger impact on your life than you do, you're just flat wrong. I'm sorry. I don't care if you're listening from a jail cell. 
Every minute forward is under your control more than anybody else's. You might be isolated geographically or financially. Those are temporary conditions that can be changed. But it's up to you to make the change. Hope and change will never come from the government. Hope and change will never come from a politician. Hope and change will never come from a company. Hope and change only comes from one thing. Individual action and belief. That's it. You want to change America, change you. Be the change. And I don't mean that in some, you know, hoagie. Be the change you want to see. No. Come on. Change your life for yourself. Don't worry. Don't worry about changing your life for your nation. Don't worry about it. Just do it and it'll happen. Change yourself now because you deserve it. And then all of a sudden, all the rest of the things that I talk about that seem hard, like paying off the debt, like storing the food, like growing the gardens, like learning the new skills, like teaching the kids, like staying positive, like staying motivated, like dealing with the disaster when it comes. Oh crap, now it's here, now it's really here. We're getting hit by a hurricane. We just got hit by an earthquake. My roof just caved in. Big disaster like we talked about yesterday. Or small disaster, I lost my job. All of a sudden, you know you can get through it. And as soon as that happens, you start working your way through I'll tell you what, folks. That spirit's not gone from America. The powers that be have done everything to try to bury it, to try to crush it. But it won't go away. It can't be defeated. It is immortal. It's part of who you are. It's part of what you are. All I'm asking you to do today is get in touch with it. Be part of it. Make it part of your life. And remember, you do deserve the things that you want, including being prepared to live a better life. Tom Kitchup. Nobody else.